Our main idea today is this: Jesus was born to be king and to bring believers from gloom to glory. Peace to you, friends and members. My name is Luke. It's a privilege to share with you this morning. For any that are here for the first time, a special welcome to you. Well, this week, as I was trying to prepare, um, I must admit I was struggling. I really felt uninspired. I felt overwhelmed by the season, and perhaps by this past year. And Wednesday night, I had. A bad dream. In my dream, I was stuck in this tall office building for some reason, and needed to escape. Okay, for those that are older or maybe cultured, knowing American movies, classic, it might have been like the movie Die Hard. Anyways, I was there with my wife and two older ones of our four children. We kept going down the building trying to get out. At one point, we ran into these large flying cockroaches. And if you know me, I despise and are afraid of large flying cockroaches from my childhood in Taiwan. I will work up the courage to kill them for my family. But as dear as many of you here are to me, if we ran into large flying cockroaches together, you can count on me running first and leaving you behind. <laughs> so anyway, my. Dream. We had to escape from these large flying cockroaches too, and finally we got almost to the bottom of this tall building. I had to go to the fire escape outside the building, and my dream is the New York City type of steel fire escape that is outside the building. We got to the last part where you need to lower this ladder to get to the ground, and we had a problem. So okay, dreams don't always make sense. So don't overthink my problem. But our problem was that if we lower the ladder somehow, an alarm will be set off and will be found out and be captured. So even though we were so close to escaping, we're stuck. It is a terrible feeling to be stuck, to feel to be to to feel trapped. This feeling of dread and fear and gloom just kind of overwhelms. Well, dreams often reflect how we feel, right? At least that's what those psychologists tells us, right? I know maybe I feel stuck because we can't travel to see families in the U.S. very easily now. I feel trapped because our children's education situation and our work situation does not have an ideal solution. I know some of you also feel stuck and trapped. Maybe some feel. Depressed and in a gloomy state, perhaps. Maybe it's not physically stuck, but relationally stuck, either in relationship that is not good, or perhaps not in relationship that you desire. Perhaps there are things like finals, or maybe end of the year projects, 
that is coming out that feels like dark cloud that just feels ominous and daunting. And maybe some of you are going through just a period of hard time where everything just seems clouded and dark, and you are in struggle, and you are in anguish. As we read in the Bible, the nation of Israel has also gone through distress and darkness, the bloom of anguish because of God's judgment and discipline for their disobedience. But God also promised restoration to the nation of Israel. As we see from the Bible, this promise is not only for the nation of Israel, but for all people who believe in Jesus, that there will be a restoration. We can be unstuck and free. We can have joy and peace partially now, but fully when we see God face to face. We are brought from the spiritual darkness into the glorious light of God. And this is the message of Christmas the message we need to hear during this Christmas season. Well, we're going through a four-week mini Christmas Advent series in preaching. Advent means the arrival of something or someone. For Christians, the Advent season leads up to Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ at his first coming, but also a reminder to be waiting expectantly for the return of Christ at his second coming. Last week, John shared from Galatians 4 about the humanity of Jesus coming as a baby to free us from the bondage of slavery to become children of God. Next two weeks, we'll hear sermons from the book of Matthew about the birth of Jesus and the turning point of history. But this week, we are going to look into the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the prophet, who prophesies about Jesus around 700 years before Jesus was born. So if you have your Bible, you can turn about midway in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah is a prophet of God. Prophets in the Bible means messengers for God. They deliver God's message to the people on God's behalf. So it's not like they can see necessarily the future, but they deliver messages for God who knows the future. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves. Isaiah's message from God to the people of Israel is essentially God will bring judgment, but God also promises salvation to his people. Today we will study Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. They're also printed in the bulletin for us on page 11 if you need them. Before I read those verses for us, I want to read a few verses at the end of chapter 8 where Isaiah spoke of the coming Assyrian invasion and how Israelite will be taken captive away from their land. If you have your Bible, you can look there or listen as I start in chapter 8, verse 21. Talking about the Israelite, Isaiah says, They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces Upward, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Can you just feel that despair, the distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, just be in that thick cloud of darkness? 
Now follow along as I read Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They have rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow, what powerful words. A hope, a promise, not only to the Israelites, but I pray you will see that it is to anyone who will believe. Our main idea today is this. Jesus was born to be king and to bring believers from gloom to glory. Jesus Christ was born a child to die on the cross and on the third day, Jesus resurrected to rule over his kingdom. Jesus also brings believers, those who were repented and trusted in him, from the gloom of eternal suffering to the glorious joy of God's presence. We'll explore this progression from gloom to glory in three sections. The first section, from darkness to light. This is taken from verse 1 and 2, from darkness to light. In the second section, from oppression to joy, in verses 3 to 5, from oppression to joy. And the last section, from child to king, verse 6 and 7. Let's dig in together. Our first section, from darkness to light. Jesus was born to bring his people from darkness to light. Our passage today started with but. Verse 1, but. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. This is talking about Isaiah's message to Israel from the previous chapter, that there will be no more gloom and anguish from God's discipline of his people by allowing the Assyrians to conquer them and to take them into captivity. So even though Isaiah just delivered the message that Israel is going to be invaded by the Assyrians, Isaiah also continued to tell God's people that eventually, Eventually, they will be restored, and there will be no more gloom and no more anguish. So this is why Isaiah in verse 1 says, in the former time, Isaiah speaks of these events as if they are in the past from the future point of restoration. Continuing in the verse, in the former time, he, he here referring to God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, 
Zebulun and Naphtali are two tribes of Israel that occupied the northern parts of Israel. God has had humiliated Israel by allowing invaders to come first through those regions occupied by the tribe of Zebulun and Naphtali. Let's continue to read. But in the latter time, he, referring to God again here, has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So Galilee is the region that Zebulun and Naphtali occupy. Isaiah was telling God's people that the same region where the invader first invaded Israel is also going to be the place where God's glory will arrive. That this arrival of salvation of a savior of the Messiah will be like people walking in darkness, seeing a great light shining through. We know from the New Testament in the Bible that the latter time referring to the time Jesus ushered in. This great light is referring to Jesus Christ who fulfilled this prophecy by Isaiah. Jesus' fulfillment of this prophecy was read for us in the scripture reading earlier by Claire. But let me read a portion of that again from Matthew 4, 12-14. It says, Now when Jesus heard that John has been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So Zebulun and Naphtali are two are the two Israel tribes that live in the region of Galilee. This great light, of course, is Jesus Christ. The message Jesus started preaching from that time is what he said in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the way to heaven is through repentance and faith in Jesus. The spiritual darkness and gloom of being stuck in sin, stuck in ourselves, stuck in anguish and hopelessness is dispelled by this great light of Jesus Christ shown through the gospel. Jesus was born to bring his people from darkness into light. But how does he do that? If you are a believer, I challenge us to be able to answer that clearly and succinctly to anyone that asks us. If you're not yet a believer, this is the gospel, the good news. Jesus was born to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. If we recognize our sin against God, repent and believe in Jesus, we are brought from the darkness of eternal punishment that is waiting for us into the light of God's glory to enjoy his presence forever. This is the best present anyone could ever get. When we think about Christmas and we think about Christmas presents, those are supposed to remind us of the greatest present God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is a great light that brings his people out of the darkness. Jesus was born to bring his people from darkness to light. So what is one way to apply this truth that Jesus brings his people from darkness to light? 
let me suggest that we need to live in the light. Living in the light is difficult because light exposes, right? It exposes us and our flaws and all our weaknesses. So let me ask you, how good are you at sharing your struggles? Is there someone you are totally transparent with? Living in the light means there's no hiding. This is very hard because it is natural for us to want to keep the ugly parts of ourselves in the darkness. Our tendency to hide when we are unwell is nothing new. Adam and Eve in Genesis, when they disobeyed God, guess what they did? They hid themselves. Genesis 3a writes, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? God is calling to each one of us, Where are you? God is calling not to shame us. He's calling because he cares for us and he loves us. If you're not a Christian, you might not even realize that God is calling out to you. You are here listening because God is merciful and I believe God is calling out saying, where are you? Where are you in your faith? Do you know that you have a problem and Jesus is the answer? The first step to live in the light is to acknowledge and trust that Jesus is that great light. You can tell God, I'm here and I want to turn to you. Well, I encourage you to talk to a member here if you just did that or desire to answer God's call. We hope to help you to be on this journey to live in God's light together. And if you are a child here, many times God is calling you through your parents. Where are you? Will you be open about your struggles even if you think your parents won't understand? Maybe don't even wait for them to look for you. Go to them and ask, Mom or Dad, can I talk to you? Parents, it's really important now that we listen well. However trivial we might think the struggle is, it is real. Auntie and uncles here, big brother, big sisters here, parents many times need your help to call out to their children. We need to make sure no child is left in the darkness, thinking they are without the light of care. Believers, we need to live in the light. Is there another brother or sister of the same gender that we are transparent with? Is there someone who you don't need to put on a face to be with? Or do you still hide behind screens and chats and big groups afraid of being real and being vulnerable. Being in the light means those ugly parts will be seen. And it's okay because Christ has already seen them. Members, if you're not good at reaching out to another person, we have home groups are intended to help build trusted relationships. Our hope is that when you're comfortable getting to know other members in smaller groups, there might be one or two people in the group that you can be totally transparent and totally real with. 
we are not expecting you to reveal everything to everyone, but there needs to be another person to help shine the light in your life, to help shine God's life in our life. We need to encourage those people that don't attend home group to take advantage of these groups. Lastly, to those that are struggling in deep darkness right now, hear this. On you, the light of Jesus Christ is shown. Talk to Jesus and talk to someone else. If you don't know who to talk to, come talk to me or John or Mark. You can even use the back of the bulletin where there is a form on the bottom of page 12. You can use that to have an elder contact you and to meet up. The elders cannot solve your problems, but we can remind you that God knows your struggle and has the power to change your heart. So be in the light. Jesus was born to bring his people from darkness to light. Let's move on to the second section, from oppression to joy. Jesus was born to bring his people from oppression to joy. Look back at the passage starting at verse 3 there. You, again, talking about God here. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So in this latter time, God's people are no longer just a single group of people, but a large gathering with people from all nations. That there will be joy and rejoicing. Isaiah gives two analogies of the kinds of joy. One, as with the joy of harvest or maybe the joy from receiving um, the reward of hard work. This idea of ripeness and abundance. So for me, I have this picture of my kids coming home after going shopping with their grandparents. All the gifts and toys and clothing and food they come back with. The fullness and abundance. And most of all, the smiles on their faces. I'm sure for a farmer at a good harvest, the deep satisfaction and joys is even more. And the second image that God gave Isaiah is as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So this is an image of victory in a battle. The fight is finally won, and the victors is dividing up the spoil. And for me, maybe this is a picture of my kids winning a soccer game. That they are sharing and retelling moments in the game with their teammates and with their families, that joy from winning, from coming out on top. For people in war, can you imagine the relief and the joy when it's finally over being on the side of victory? So this increased joy is a joy of abundance and fullness and relief and gladness. But the verses go on to show why God's people will have this kind of joy. Look back, starting at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The reason God's people will have this kind of joy is because the yoke, the staff, and the rod of, from the enemies are broken. So uh, a yoke is this heavy collar normally put around two 
animals to pull a plow or a cart that is heavy. A staff is used on shoulders of, of, of sheep to force the sheep to go in a certain direction. A rod is used by oppressors to punish. So these instruments from the enemy to place heavy burden, to force captivity, to inflict pain and punishment, are broken. They are broken as on the day of Midian. What is this talking about? The day of Midian is talking about Gideon's battle against the Midian in Judges 7. And this is recorded in the Old Testament. Let me read parts of that for us from Judges 7. It says, The Midianites lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. And Gideon's 300 cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every Midian's sword against his comrade and against all the army. The point is Gideon, with only 300 men, defeated the Midianites that could not be numbered in a stunning fashion. The Lord orchestrated Midian's defeat in this way so that the Lord alone would get the glory. So when he talks about enemy's yoke and staff and rod broken as on the day of Midian, it is talking about the total and utter destruction of the enemy, of the oppressor by the Lord in a stunning fashion. And not only that, the boot and garment from the enemy and from the oppressor will not only be destroyed, but used as fuel for God's people, fuel for fire for God's people. So when in Romans it says, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Can you imagine even those things that the enemy used to inflict pain and suffering God's people, warriors, boots, and garments, somehow those things will become fuel for fire to serve God's people. That's incredible. Jesus was born to bring his people from oppression to joy. This oppression will be utterly shattered and give way to deep, satisfying, abundant, victorious joy. So again, what is one way we can apply this truth that Jesus brings believers from oppression to joy? Let me suggest remembering the joy. Remembering what gives you God's joy. Do you still remember that joy of relief as a child when you repented and accepted Jesus? knowing that your sins are forgiven and you no longer have to be afraid of hell? Do you remember that joy that you have when the words of the Bible was alive and then you can just feel God speaking to you personally? Do you remember the joy you had knowing that you are doing the thing God had made you to do? What about just taking in his creation, observing nature and animals and the world? How about being a creator yourself in art or writing or cooking or music or anything else that you enjoy to do? Of course, there are also the joy of God-given relationship, a family, of friends. So as differently as God has made each of us, there are just as many different way, ways to enjoy God. For me, one of the clearest joys that I remember was serving on the music team for my church and college. You know, it meant getting up early those Sundays to set up and rehearse. But the joy of worshiping God, serving that way, would just 
refreshing to me. Nowadays, sometimes I get so busy, I don't even have time to play my guitar or sing. But I find those moments when I do just pull out my songbook and guitar and find a corner of the house to play and sing to God, for me, it is a reminder of that freedom and that joy that God gives. So I say, do what gives you God's joy. I know we all have responsibilities. We have studies and works and chores. We should not be oppressed by these responsibilities. These are good responsibilities to have, but we are not enslaved by them. We need to have healthy boundaries for these responsibilities, and we need to make sure that we also set aside time to enjoy God. So remember, I'm talking about God's joy, not mindless decompression, just looking at our phones or devices, one random article after another, one random video after another. Remember what gives us God's joy and intentionally do those things with God's presence and with our hearts full. Jesus was born to bring his people from oppression to joy. We should move to the third section, from child to king. Jesus was born as a child to be enthroned as the king. Now we come to one of the more well-known portions of Scripture, especially during Christmas time. What is the reason there will be no more gloom? How can the way be glorious? So let's look there, starting in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Every time I read to this place, you know, Frederick Hondo's Messiah musical masterpiece would just fill my mind. I can just hear in my mind, if you know it, all the violins playing to a crescendo. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Okay, if you get a chance, you should really go and listen to it. An amazing piece of music. Anyway, continuing verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Listen to that last part. I just love it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. This reminds me of my favorite benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, listen to this last part. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I love it. God himself will do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. So what will he do to, to displace the gloom with glory? It says, for to us a child is born. This is what the angels announced in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. In the New Testament, Luke writes, And the angel said to the shepherds, For fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joys that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ is the child that is born, God's own 
and only Son that is given. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. This is another way to say he came to govern or to rule his people. And what kind of ruler will he be? Now, Isaiah gives us four different names, actually four different characteristics of this ruler. And he says he will be a wonderful counselor. Counselor represents someone who is wise. So in other words, a wise counselor or a wise ruler. And he said he will be a mighty God. So in other words, fully divine. A fully divine being with absolute power. Or another way, maybe to say a powerful ruler. He also said he will be an everlasting father. Someone with fatherly care or, or a loving ruler. And finally, he shall be called the prince of peace, or he shall rule a peaceful kingdom. And peace here is, is in terms of the Hebrew idea of shalom. So a peace that is a complete rest and fullness and wholeness. It will be an everlasting kingdom with no end, that Jesus will th- sit enthroned over his kingdom and to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness forevermore, for eternity. Jesus was born as a child to be enthroned as the king. And nothing can thwart God's plan because the zeal, the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will accomplish this. When God is called the Lord of hosts, it is saying God of the armies of heaven was sometimes translated to the God Almighty. That the Lord is all-powerful to do it, to accomplish his purpose. And that purpose was for Jesus to be born as a child, to die on the cross on the third day, to raise from the dead and enthroned as the eternal king. Again, what is one way we can apply this truth to our lives? I want to suggest trust the king because Jesus is trustworthy. He is wise and powerful and loving to provide that shalom peace to us. We can trust him by training our thoughts with his truth, to trust the king and not listen to the enemy. Before we trust the king, perhaps, there is an even more basic question. Is Jesus your king? If you are not yet a believer, that is your first step. Is Jesus your king? And if you are a Christian, Jesus is our eternal king. If that is the case, what are words from Jesus, our King, that we need to trust? Well, Jesus says in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus says, I love you. You have an eternal future. In spite of what you have done or failures you will encounter in life, if you trust me. This is what Jesus tells us. And Romans 8 further says, There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our enemy, the devil, wants to tell us that because of what we have done and because of the failure that we will face in the future, we are stuck. 
we are hopeless, that the gloom will never pass. Those are lies. We need to guard our minds from these thoughts. They are not of God. Satan's top strategy is to put unhealthy thoughts into our minds. And if we are not careful and allow these thoughts to linger, we start to think that they are our own thoughts. So we need to be watchful of different ideas that are told to us through the media, through devices, through chat, through all these things surround us. Don't let thoughts that are not in line with God's truth to linger in your mind. Some of these unhealthy thoughts might be, for example, you are not good enough. You need more. You deserve this. Just a little can't hurt. Nobody cares. You are hopeless. We need to be careful because these are lies. They are not true. They're from the enemy. We need to trust our King Jesus and truth from the Bible. Read his word daily because they are trustworthy. Study his words with others because they are beneficial to us. Roman 8 goes on to say, Who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquered through him who loved us. So who are you going to listen to? Listen to God and trust Jesus, our King. Train our thoughts with truth from our King. Jesus was born as a child to be enthroned as the King. But we should conclude. We learned today that Jesus was born to be king and to bring believers from gloom to glory. And first, Jesus brings believers from darkness to light, so we should live in the light. And practically, we need to let someone else know our struggles. And second, Jesus brings believers from oppression to joy, so we should remember the joy. And practically, we need to do what, God, what gives us God's joy. And finally, Jesus was born as a child to enthrone as the king. So we should trust the king. And practically, we need to train our thoughts with the king's truth. So remember the dream that I shared about in the beginning? I was stuck on this building almost to the ground, but couldn't get down. Well, finally, a gardener lady on the ground saw us and told us of another way down through the back of the building. And you know, dreams don't totally make sense, right? But as we went through the door at the back of the building, guess what we walk into? We walk right into the middle of a party. People were just socializing, eating, and drinking, enjoying themselves. I don't really know what to make of the dream. Maybe it's because I like to host people and enjoy good company. Maybe God's trying to tell me the hard time will not last forever. Isaiah 25 speaks of a feast that the believer will have. Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from
from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. What wonderful promise from God we can hold on to as we wait. Jesus was born to be king and bring believers from gloom to glory. If you could indulge me, I would like to end by reading today's passage for us again. It is such powerful words of promise and of hope. So here it is again, God's promise through the prophet Isaiah. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen.